Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. Just like Jay Allen pointed out on his show, the Rated R Safety Show, it's been a couple of days since we've seen you. Uh, Vacations, family issues, schedules, baseball, you name it. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I hope well. We have a lot of stuff going on. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, we've had a crane collapse in New York City uh, today. I turned on the radio on my commute into my project this morning, and that's what I hear. Crane collapse, New York City. We hear the usual cast of characters giving commentary on it. We're going to try to go a little bit deeper into it here, and some of my own commentary. We also have... An uh, unexplained aerial phenomenon. Big hearings today. Very interesting if you caught it on the news. We'll be talking about that also uh, briefly. And our usual news and views with the commentary on the OSHA press releases. And some other stuff going on out there. Some interesting things. I had some... uh, Tomorrow we're going to go on a little bit of... Or I should say the next program. We're going to be going on a little bit of a deeper dive on some... Uh, issues. I was listening to one podcast slash radio show last week on all this rhetoric going on out there. This side hating that side. This side hating that side. This side doing this. And th- this side do. And it goes on and on and on and on and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we all end up hating each other. So, well, we have to bring in, we, we want to be one of those beacons out there in, on YouTube, whatever platform you're listening to, the podcast networks, over 40 of them, to try to elevate this a little bit more. And we're going to attempt to do that tomorrow, and then Friday we'll try to do some other stuff. I had some interviews lined up with some Hollywood folks out there, uh, but they can't do the interviews because of the strike. Right, it's a violation of the uh, thing. Yes, I am wearing a new swag, Safety Wars, JCP Technical Services. We have Pozel one on the back, and my wife has graciously uh, asked to wear my normal Safety Wars shirt, except it's hers, and it has her name on the back. Anyway, uh, 
Let's uh, go right into the commentary here. And what's going on here with that crane collapse in New York City? And I just lost the uh, thing, the story I had right up here. Let's see if we can find it again. Don't have to go too far for it because it's been all over the news. So this morning I'm on the way in, like I said, and I find out, you know, we have this crane collapse in New York City. And hold on, I've done this one out. So this is what it comes down to. New York City construction train catches on fire before it collapse. New York City authorizes authorities say six injured, including two firefighters, and crane arm collapse. New York City authorities are warning the public to avoid the area of Manhattan Wednesday after a construction train caught fire on a partially and partially collapsed, sending 16 tons of concrete and debris, or Debris, as a lot of people call it, tumbling down into the streets. The incident has left at least six people injured, two of which were firefighters responding to the scene. Thank God the injuries are minor, uh, said uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said. As you can see from the debris on the street, this going to be much worse. I'm waiting for the uh, accident report here. Hopefully OSHA will issue something here on this for their investigation. As we know, they have up to like six months to issue an investigation. FDNY First Deputy Commissioner Joseph Pfeiffer said one firefighter is having chest pains and is being transported to a hospital. Oh, well, I wonder why. It's like 99 degrees out there. I mean, it was hot. I tried to make it uh, to this area and they shut down the Lincoln Tunnel. It was a nightmare. Trying to, So I said, you know, can't do it for you folks. Sorry. I love you, but I can't do it like this. So this was a tower crane. So uh, as we know, in the late 2000s, early 2010s, there were a lot of accidents in New York City with tower tower cranes. And uh, one of the biggest ones was on, I believe it was May 30th, uh, 2009, uh, or May 29th, I'm sorry, 2009. The only reason why I know that is that one of my clients, I got a phone call from one of my clients and they had a fatality on May 30th, 2009. And everybody, all the OSHA uh, compliance people and investigators were at the other crane collapse. And what ended up happening was they got uh, people who were not very familiar with uh, their situation. And it didn't, uh, we never really got to the bottom of exactly what happened there. And we're getting the whole co- uh, cast of characters here with, the, uh, with this accident. No, as usual. We got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. How about we do an investigation and not have a knee-jerk reaction? And once we have the investigation, we go and we do something. What happened last time there was a knee-jerk reaction under Mayor de Blasio a couple years ago? They came out with this convoluted and wrought with fraud. I'm sorry, wrought with fraud. We're going to have 40 hours. We're going to require 40 hours of training. Well, what happens often is uh, uh, the 40 hours for construction workers, Department of Buildings uh, training. And then there was no, uh, not in there, because it easily gets 
people forget a lot of their training classes mixed up. They don't know OSHA out 30 hour outreach, OSHA 10 hour outreach, or OSHA 40 hour Haswopper, or any of the other number of ANSI uh, recommended or industry standard, I should say that, uh, trainings out there. So someone said OSHA 40, nobody corrected them. It's what my thinking would happen. They came up with this and they had to come and design a course, which of course, very few people and companies in New York could do because try to get on the list for training things. And it's like, you know, it's like, hey, Jim, why don't you do training in New York? Because it's a Herculean task to get on the approved list, right? And if you want to work for somebody, forget about it, doing that training. I mean, it's not even, uh, you know, out there. And then what do you think? What do you get? I was just talking to a person today on a project I was on, uh, at an undisclosed location. We we're talking about the 30 hour courses and he said, Oh yeah. The first time I took uh, the 30 hour course, I paid somebody off. The second time I took the 30 hour course, I had my kid take it for me online. Oh really? That's really wonderful. And Guess what? Wrought with fraud, all these outreach training courses. Because in New York City, if you're a good, if you're, and let's face it, if you're a good worker, there's a labor shortage there and everything else, and qualified laborers, uh, qualified tradespeople. And what happens? Am I going to spend 30 hours in a classroom, four days is what it comes down to, or am I going to lose 40 hours of pay, uh, 30 hours of pay, four days worth of pay? That's what you're doing. And where's the incentive? Got to go to work. So what happens? People falsify things all the time. I know and everybody has their story here. It's very frustrating. Now with the cranes, after some of the major crane accidents out there, they came out with several licenses in New York. So uh, these went into effect September 7th, 2021. Uh, hold on. Uh, actually, before that, this is, I'm reading the wrong date on this, uh, on my notes here or on the page. But they uh, basically came out with all of uh, three different licenses. Class A, you have a Class A hoist machine operator. Class A hoist machine operator are licensed to operate cranes with booms under 200 feet in length. Then you have a class V hoist machine operator. A class V hoist machine operator are licensed to operate all cranes regardless of length. Class C hoist machines. So these are like your boom trucks, that sort of thing. And they have three different classes, C1, C2, and C3 hoisting machine. So there are basically three of them. So uh, let's see here. And da-da-da. Uh, Okay, so uh, class one, C1, is for uh, mobile cranes, large telescopic room cranes. Mobile cranes, small telescopic room, room, room cranes, room cranes, either with a fixed cab or a swing cab. To claim a class C2 license, uh, you, it's for a room truck for a fixed cab, and a C3 license is a room truck fixed class, uh, cab also but it's a da, da, da. 
you have to pass a certification exam, right? NCCCO, uh, National Commission for the Certification of Crane Operators exam. So these things are extremely highly uh, regulated in New York. And New York also did the thing where uh, there were, uh, 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 for a lot of things, where inspectors are going out and looking the other way, and they cracked down on the inspectors and things of that nature. So uh, what else do we have here? And they have a checklist for everybody here. Uh, not explaining what a C2 and C1, but you know, there are three classes here. Now, uh, also, uh, let's see here. I believe there is a New York City crane rigging license, right? Do, do, do. So we have crane rigging certifications. You have... Uh, for the department, this is for the Department of Buildings. They call it a special rigor license uh, here. Uh, and you basically have to do rigging uh, things and have ex different exams. Now, the unions do a really phenomenal job and uh, uh, do a really for phenomenal job in licensing people, making sure they have all their groove note together and they're out there doing their thing. Uh the problem ha uh, does have, and those are not usually where, not where we normally see any of the issues. It's for non-union small-time contractors, small contractors that don't have the capacity in their company to get people licensed or anything else. All I have to say is, God forbid, you get caught without the right paperwork because you will have a problem. Uh, going on with the OSHA requirements here for cranes, here is... Here are my notes. So, uh, it's subpart CC in the 1926 standard. And subpart CC uh, addresses ground conditions, hazards of working around cranes and the qualifications of employees needed to operate the equipment safely. What are the causes of crane fatalities? It's electrocution. Crane assembly or disassembly, 12%. Boom or buckling or collapse, 8%. Now, thankfully, in this accident, nobody got hurt uh, here uh, with this. Uh, boom or buckling collapse, crane upset or overturn, rigging failure, overloading, 4%. Struck by or moving load, 4%. Accidents related to a man lift, 4%. So a crane hits a man lift. Working within the swing radius of the counterweight, 3%. Two blocking. Right, uh, two percent. Uh, what is two blocking a crane? Hold on. Two blocking refers to a situation where the crane's lower load block, for instance, uh, the hook assembly, comes into contact with the upper load block. I.e., Bloomington. That's what I thought. Two blocking. Right, and it damages it. I've seen this happen one time. Uh, on a job, and basically it was uh, falling, uh, it was a fall, everything fell apart and came crashing down uh, on everybody. Uh, nobody got hit, right? I think one guy got uh, hit with a little piece of steel off the hard hat, something minor like that. And there are uh, ways to prevent that. There are devices that prevent it, but often they get taken out, taken off.
Uh, going on. So, what are some of the things you have to look for? And if you're, uh, the thing is, there has to be a hazard assessment. A grant, and is one of the things is, is the grant sufficient for weight of the hoisting equipment, any equipment? And does it work right? So you have a lot of different types of training. You have qualified and or certified crane and derrick operators, and they need to know the potential dangers to report immediately. Usually your local jurisdiction uh, are the ones that regulate that. So uh, what are some of the hazards here? So you have hazards type. You have tip-overs. Uh, stable ground issues, controlling the entity, right? And the controlling entity, remember that's in the multi-employer, multi-employer job site definitions here is that someone has to go and deal with the controlling entity, controlling employer on whether the ground is safe or not. So what would you do? How do you control that? You can do a, and a, uh, you can break out the pocket penetrometer, figure that out. That, that's really low tech. But you need somebody qualified and competent to go out there and determine whether you're going to be able to do that. And that what happens is you put on in dunnage, usually in the form of some type of wood or steel, so you could distribute the weight evenly. They're usually a minimum, depending on, no, it depends on how big the crane is. Some of them are, uh, but it's usually the standard three or four foot in diameter or three by three type of dunnage that gets put on there. Then you have the outriggers that go out and press it down. Uh, No, uh, so when it lifts, you don't have a tip over hazard. So know the soil. Another thing is this, comply with the manufacturer's procedures. All of these pieces of equipment are supposed to have owner's manuals. The big issue is if you're a safety professional out there, you have to determine whether it's a rented crane or an owned crane. And you're going to say, well, a lot. what's the difference? What's the issue? In a rented crane, usually everything is together, right? It's in there. When it's a company-owned crane, the question is, do they have the capacity? Do they have the people on staff? Do they have anybody else there are able to keep up with the maintenance, keep up with the paperwork, keep up with the licensing and everything else. So normally you rent out a crane and the crane operator comes with it. And uh, now it's really nice because then they go out there and you have a qualified person. Some jurisdictions that does not happen uh, all the time. They don't like to subcontract this stuff, but with a company owned device uh, thing and an embedded employer, renting the you know with this you may run into some kind of issues with that so that's something that you need to realize you need to uh deal with uh so no the owner's manual you right is it in there is it present often doesn't have a ha- uh 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 right uh right you know no that isn't there so you have to provide the crew with instructions and safe work procedures. What do we do with that? That's where you're dealing with the job hazard analysis. Again, if it's not in writing, it doesn't happen. I've done the training a couple of times 
in the last three or four months on job hazard analysis on my projects. And people don't really, well, people don't like doing them. I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of it, well, it's a one more step in the morning. Well, you're trying to get us. You're trying, we're not trying to get anybody. We have a responsibility to uh, do a hazard assessment, communicate those hazards, what the remedial actions are, and going out and communicating with it and do training on those. That's why you sign them every day, original signature, if possible. This way, everybody, you can't, uh, right, when there's an accident, no one could say, well, we weren't, we didn't know, we weren't sure. Again, and that's, again, what a, a common OSHA citation on that, lack of communicating hazards. And you also have certain training and, in some cases, some jurisdictions licensing for assembling and disassembling cranes. Who's in charge of that? You often need another crane to assemble the crane that you have. That happens also. Okay. There has to be an inspection. This is OSHA here. And every 12 months, and this is OSHA, right? There has to be a qualified person, right, out there doing inspections of this. But every shift they recommend, and I'm not sure if it's recommended or a requirement, but I would do it every shift, a competent person go through and run through basic things on that crane, preferably the operator. Okay. Uh, Some other things you need to uh, look at. What the load capacity is. And remember, uh, the further away you get away from the uh, center of gravity, the less the capacity of the crane is uh, with that. If you have employees climbing the crane with the boom and everything, guess what? You need to go out there and you need to have the person... you need to have the person in fall protection equipment out there. Uh, gone are the days where you're free climbing a boom. That it still happens. I've seen it happen, not recently, but I've seen that happen. Now, the other thing is this with the uh, with, uh, with this uh, one, one of the common, uh, well, a very common accident, right? With fall protection, me and uh, my buddy, buddy Rudolph. Then you say, well, why you mentioned the last thing, buddy Rudolph? If you're NYPD, uh, NYPD Blue, I think that was NYPD Blue fan, you know him because he was a background actor throughout the entire length of the series, one of the police officers in the back. So if you're a NYPD Blue fan, you know Buddy Rudolph, and a.k.a. Charles Rudolph. Uh, he's also a safety professional when he's not acting. Now he's retired. Anyway... Uh, they had, uh, uh, we were uh, in a four, uh, no, six-story building over in Swiftwater, Pennsylvania, and we heard, uh, we were on the top floor, this is about 6.30 in the morning, and we're doing the morning walkthrough with the project manager and some other folks, and we hear a thud. And automatically, right, Right. If you ever heard a human body hit the ground or any body hit the ground, it's a distinctive sound that you will never get out of your head. It's always there. Right? And me and him automatically knew, right, the way I got my experience with it was with squirrels 
falling off and getting electrocuted and falling off the uh, telephone wires and power lines in front of my house growing up. Same sound. So uh, we went out and we automatically knew what it was. And I, we run to the side of the building and guy fell off a crane. What he was doing was the morning inspection and he was walking on top of the crane, which was around eight foot in the air. There was nowhere for fall protection, but because the crane offer, crane manufacturer knew that people walk on top of the cab of the crane, they put non-skid, it was put in by the manufacturer, non-skid uh, uh, surface on there with like the tape, right? It was, except it was a little bit heavy dirty, duty or the grit tape, that sort of thing. And the guy fell face down into a puddle of water. Now, the guy was all fouled up and everything physically, neck issues, back issues, but that's not what almost killed him. What almost killed him was he almost drowned. He was unconscious face down in a puddle of water. So uh, we ended up, again, back injury. Do you move the guy or not? I don't know. Well, a decision was made by someone, I don't know who, to get the, because I was walking down the stairs, to get the guy, and I think, actually, memory serves right, the guy got up on his own power, but they helped him up, that sort of thing. Again, first aid CPR training, you got to make a decision there with that. And the guy was all fouled up. So this often happens during the uh, inspection of the crane in the morning. And this was the kind of guy that he was very diligent. I don't know if he was an owner-operator or what. He looked over his equipment every day and had a checklist. Never had a problem with the guy with checklists uh, and inspecting his crane. Uh, he treated it like his own, but this is often what happens, which brings you to the next point. Don't work alone. If we were, had not been there, uh, the guy would have likely been a fatality or it would have been a bad thing. The next thing is this, risk of electrocution. This is often another crane hazard where you have people up there and uh, they uh, touch the, uh, the crane, boom, touches wires overhead. And remember, it could be below too if you're involved in some type of excavation, driving, piling, things of that nature. Uh, Mid-90s, Newark Airport got white, wiped out for an afternoon. because uh, Actually, well, I think it was two or three after days where a uh, crane pile driver uh, went through the regular power line and the backup power line for Newark Airport. was not a pretty thing. Uh, my, the company I worked for at the time, uh, was involved in the uh, investigation there, and my boss told us all about it. And he had some very, uh, he had some interesting comments, Jeff Holcott. We'll leave it. If you knew Jeff Holcott, right, he passed away, rest in peace, Jeff. If you knew Jeff Holcott, you, you, you would know what kind of comments he would have kind of had. So uh, he would have been a good guest on here, man. All I have to say. He would have been a good host on here, right? Co-host. Uh, so keep away from power lines. Again, make sure they're de-energized or guarded. And there are certain standards with that. You can go and look that up. Uh, there, now, the rule of thumb is at least 20 foot away and know the voltage. Uh, what else we got here? I'm looking at this, uh, I'm reading off of a uh, PowerPoint presentation here, not mine, otherwise I would have it up here. And some of these pictures 
the guy who wrote this must have been from New Jersey because I'm seeing like three New Jersey photos here. But unless you're from New Jersey, uh, you would not, uh, you know, you would not uh, uh, know this, right? Like we got the old Gothel's Bridge here, not the new one, the old one. Funny story, I was watching a uh, documentary on the uh, on the uh, 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 oil industry, and lo and behold, what do I see? Gothel's Bridge, uh, and the video was uh, from the waterfront at the Bayway Refinery on top of one of the towers on the waterfront. And what I laugh is, is that Bayway Refinery, and it was an older video, Bayway Refinery is very, uh, don't get caught with a camera there. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> you know, don't, it would be a bad thing, bad thing working there. So, uh, with OSHA, you have, uh, four different things, right? Uh, three different things here. You have to be certified. You have to be a certified operator. Now, remember, certified is not licensed. You have to check what your local jurisdiction is on what your license, uh, 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 no, what your uh, local license is. So, for example, in Massachusetts, once you get above a certain weight of, let's say, a lull, which is a, uh, uh, you know, a, type, a class seven forklift, all terrain forklift, with that, you once you start putting uh, attachments like your jib attachment hook on it or anything like that. Now you need a license for that. You need a hoist license, I believe is what it's called. Don't quote me on that. Check what the local, I've been a long time since I worked in Massachusetts and Connecticut. So you have different licenses for that. You may unknowingly come under a state's definition of a crane operator if you or, or something similar to that if you're dealing with uh, different things. New York City has its own licensing program, I believe, other major cities have that, like Philadelphia, Chicago, uh, Las Vegas, where Jay Allen was last week. And uh, with that, uh, so where are you uh, going? To, where can you get certified? Uh, an accredited crane operator testing organization audited by uh, uh, an audited employer program, meaning that you have to get the credentials there to do the training, which... Very, very expensive. Uh, state or local government may have something, trade schools, things along that way, and the military. Now, you also have to have a uh, signal person qualification. So for that, it has to be a third-party uh, uh, evaluator. It cannot come from a former employer. So you cannot go from company A and go to company B and say, I'm a signal person quali not qualified. Right, it has to be managed by the employer that you are currently working with. Is my uh, uh, understanding? It has to be by a third party, uh, per, uh, company, entity, what have you. You have to carry all of these qualifications. Have to be on you, and you have to specify the type of qualification. Is it going to be uh, for uh, a hand signals, radio signals, flags? What is it? Again, you need to have everything on there all documented all the time. Why is that? Because when the Gouverneur, I can guarantee you, when the Gouverneur hits the fan like it did in New York City, guess what? Everybody's there. What do you think they're going to ask for? If the, I know they already ha had asked for it. 
Why? Because they always asked for it. Where's the paperwork on the crane? Where is the uh, checklist? Where's the license? Where's everything else? And uh, with that, uh, first things that they do. Again, if you want to go, and uh, we have an accident management class here where we talk about accident investigations and managing accidents, things of that nature, give us a call, 845-269-5772. Now, you also have to have, so you have the operator, single person. You also have to have a qualified rigger, right, R-I-G-G-E-R. And that's somebody who uh, uh, is qualified to do that. And uh, to be considered a qualified rigger, you must meet the quali- criteria for a qualified person. Remember, there's a difference between competent person and qualified person. Qualified person, you have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to choose the rigging, rig it right, right knots, and everything else. So a qualified rigger is, uh, has to have on-the-job experience and education. So you have to possess a recognized degree, certificate, or professional standing, or have extensive knowledge, training, and experience, and can successfully demonstrate the ability to solve problems related to rigging loads. A person designated as a qualified rigger, again, and you do this in writing, uh, just like with a competent person, you quali- it's got to be somewhere in writing, especially if you're in a state like New York State. You had better make damn sure Confident person and qualified people are designated. The person designated as qualified rigger must have the ability to properly rig the load for a particular job. It does not mean that a rigger is qualified to do every type of rigging job. Again, there are companies out there that I've worked with where this is all that they do is rigging. So, uh, you know, go out and get a rigger. We're going to go and take a brief commercial Time out here, and uh, you know, we'll go from there. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. And hold on. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Learning is vital. Learning is vital. I don't know. I have a different approach. I mean, I listen to these other podcasts and programs, and they are very serious. They are very corporate. This is what we're doing Uh, and everything. And uh, that ain't me. You're seeing the pure, unadulterated Jim Polzel here on this show. And uh, that's the way it's going to be. Well, it, it's like this. And, uh, no, I, I had a lot of very well-meaning, well-intentioned folks that I've worked with. Uh, some would consider mentors. They could be supervisors, bosses, and everything else. Well, Jim, you got to do this. Jim, you got to do this. And I wasn't very happy with the way I was uh, doing the way things were going. I said, you know what? Rather than fight this and fight that, you know, make myself into something I'm not, I said, I'm going to embrace who I am. And that's what we are here on Safety Wars. We're, you know, we keep it light. We keep it, try to make people feel happy. We go into 
rants sometimes, I know, but you know, you, you got to be comfortable in your own skin. And once you're comfortable in your own skin, you lose a lot of the stress in your own life. People would say, well, you got to find yourself. I, you know, I wasn't finding myself. I knew who I was. Just that I had to learn to embrace who I was. And uh, like I heard in one meme, meme today, no one's going to tell me what my opinion needs to be or who I should like and who I should get along with. I get along with all different kinds of people. Uh, just the way it is. Uh, and what I ended up doing, Jay Allen had a very uh, detailed commentary on his podcast on the Jay Allen show uh, here was hop human organizational performance is 30 years old, roughly. So it's 30 years old hop only about, he estimates about 15% of companies on practitioners in the safety field have embraced hop. I don't know if that, how accurate that is. I, I mean, no, I, he had, I mean, I call him the safety mystic, right? Him and Todd Con Conklin are safety mystics. They got their hands and uh, on otherworldly knowledge, it seems like. Uh, that's correct, by the way. So I'll take his word for 15%. But I've, I've been doing hop for an awful long time because I realized that there was something wrong out there with the way we were managing safety. You don't need all this antagonism. You need leadership. You need to get along with people. That's how you guarantee you get other more work and you remain employed. If you can get along with people, act professionally. I'm not saying don't do your job. This is all often how uh, safety people say, well, get along with people and workers. Getting along with the workers by le letting a worker do whatever the hell they want to do, regardless of what the consequences are, uh, breaking all the rules, not having any procedures or anything like that. And there's a huge misunderstanding of what HOP is, human organizational performance. It's not not having procedures. It's having, what is it? It's having guards. It's having controls. It's having resilience. It's having capacity. It's having all that stuff in place. And the more controls and procedures and everything else you have in place, and it's also, and I go through all of these, right, with my secret messages here. Uh, every night there's a new, there's, no, I have them, there's five, so there are five nights a week, so you're able to figure it out. Uh, what, what that is, the principles, is you got to rely on the worker. You work with the worker. You'll work against the worker. And I've been trying to do that for many years, here and and my younger part of my career we weren't able to do that if you're under 30 in this industry you're not going to get lessons you're real simple however once you start to get educated you start to get motivated you get to start to know people and everything else and you start developing your own style on how to manage people uh and you get work get into workplaces that are not toxic Guess what? Now you're able to manage people easier and it's easier to implement hop behavior based safety. I mean, it's, uh, no, it's rely. It's treating people as machines often. And, and, it, and I, I get it. Scott Geller and everything. Great guy. I've never met him, but I've read his books. This is not what his intention was. I think the BBS, uh, godfathers here, the leaders, the originators, wasn't their intention to have this antagonistic and uh, adversarial system. However, 
the people, however, it's prone to that type of thing. We're adversarial, abusive, human resources. My opinion is human resources and attorneys got a hold of it. And they said, well, if you are not, uh, if you got hurt, it's your own damn fault. Well, guess what? The incentive is most employees do not come to work to get hurt. There are, you listen to the show long enough, I'll tell you the story of someone who came to work to get hurt, to get workers' comp and disability, right? Believe me, I know somebody who uh, threw themselves down a flight of stairs because he uh, got denied disability, so he flew down, threw himself down a flight of stairs so he could break his leg so he would have long-term disability. I know, I know that happened, all right? I know somebody who did that. Uh, but I digress. You know, there are incentives in place for workers to work the way they, they do. And guess what? That incentive is not going to be listen to the safety person because the safety person does not have the authority to hire, fire, discipline people, manage people, or uh, like with money or scheduling or anything like that. It's a different type of management. So just some food for thought here. And let's continue here in the professional safety community communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success the question many practitioners have is where do i start dr j allen the creator of the safety fm platform and host of the rated r safety show has built a global foundation to help you along the way go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War Show? It does stream live on, on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, um, to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. Okay, so uh, let's go on the UAP stuff. Then we're going to get into the uh, other uh, uh, situations we have going on here. So it's been uh, it's been in the news literally for oh I've been hearing about this for at least six months on Coast to Coast AM, who are friends of this program. Uh, and I was on Coast to Coast AM earlier this year, and I discussed some of my own UFO experiences. And you're going to say, well, why, Jim, why is this so important to you? Why is this? Why should I give a Gouverneur over this? Uh, why should I care? Blah, 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 blah. I have a feeling 
right? There's been a lot of basically my adult lifetime, a lot of distrust of the government. Whole host of reasons. Some of them legitimate, some not so legitimate. Uh, started, well, my political awakening was in high school. However, starting in 1992, uh, when I got became a quote-unquote adult, I graduated high school, uh, graduated college, 92, the trust in government has gotten worse and worse. And with the advent of the internet, and there was, I believe it was one major thing, well, two major things. He had in 79, C-SPAN came out, where you could actually see federal, uh, federal, uh, and sometimes state, but mostly federal, Proceedings in the House of Representatives and Senate televised. And people got a little bit into, hey, uh, you know, hey, this is what's going on. Some, and with the advent of the uh, video recorder, uh, Congress people used to go, one of them was Newt Gingrich. He was a young congressman in 78. C-SPAN came out, and he ended up going and recording, have what were called special order speeches. And what he did was he recorded these special order speeches on VHS tape, had someone do it off at C-SPAN. And he would use them in his campaigns. And he would use it for what we're going to do tomorrow, starting to educate the voters on exactly what was going on. Democrats did the same thing, but Gingrich was more uh, open about it, it seems, on the Republican side. So what would happen is he'd be in there after hours giving a special orders uh, speech, and he'd just be in there, would be an empty room, and he'd just out there, and there's a parliamentarian there and a couple of other officials that are needed to run Congress, and they'd just be listening to this. What happened was that when he became Speaker of the House in 1994, 1995 actually, uh, they came out with what was called Thomas.gov. I, I believe that's what the website was uh, after Thomas Jefferson, they named it, who was the first president of the Senate, uh, vice president, right, also. Our vice president of the United States, also president of the Senate. And what he did was, that what that law was, so was they put everything on the internet. So... Basically, all of, from about 96 on, by the time they got the whole system kicked in, you, you have what we have here, reading off OSHA press releases, reading off all different types of things. And pe researchers went out there. They also had the Freedom of Information Act. And people would go out there and do all this stuff, do research and everything else. And trust in government got less and less. What well, the government did here with the UFO issue, and I've been following it since I'm about eight years old, was the uh, they called them UFO, unidentified flying objects. The government pulled a fast one and started to call them unidentified anomalous phenomenon, UAP, or unidentified aerial phenomenon, often called also. I don't know if that, how that is. And people would do Freedom of Information Act requests on, hey, I'm interested in UFO documents, blah, 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 blah. And 
eventually, a whistleblower, I believe the one we're going to talk about here, came into David Grush, found out, well, hey, you're asking for the wrong stuff, guys. You should be asking for UAPs because they call them UAPs now. And then it turns out that, holy crap, all this stuff came out because the Navy was in charge of investigating the UAPs, uh, right? Navy uh, aviation, right? The aviators, whatever you call them. And this is essentially what it came down to uh, was uh, all this information came out. So a, a former, and this is from cbsnews.com, a former military intelligence officer turned whistleblower told House lawmakers. Now, why is this important? Now, let me, I didn't finish the thought. The reason why this is important is this. They're going to, I believe this gentleman, Dave Grush, they're going to release all this information that there's been a cover-up since at least 1947 on this. Some sources say significantly longer. And now they've been lying to the American public for how many years about this stuff? Really? And it's discernible, it's tangible, it's identifiable and everything else? I don't think there's going to be very good... Uh, very good. Uh, 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 this is not going to be good. This is going to be bad eventually. And remember, this is not... Uh, kooks doing this over the years who have we had hillary clinton talking about this stuff you've had newt gingrich i believe talking about this you had harry reed a democrat hillary clinton a democrat talking about this you had pres former president barack hussein obama talking about this stuff you had former president jimmy carter talking about this stuff you had ronald reagan uh, who made uh, alluded to this in a United Nations speech talking about this stuff. What if we were going to be attacked from somewhere, uh, some extraterrestrial thing? Wouldn't we all be united, was his famous quote on this. All of this stuff going on and on and on. Now, and there's an argument here that disclosure has been happening all along here in little bits. This is a major thing that they, they may have been covering up this stuff since at least 1947 in Roswell, New Mexico. So again, how, what, what's the thing? What if it does come out that we have life on other planets? I tell you what, I, I'm okay with it. All right. I, I'm okay with it. Uh, I mean, there's going to be obvious religious and social and everything consequences, but I'm okay with it. With this, uh, being the Christian, Christian, I am okay with it, uh, and, and everything else. Well, my problem is, is why are they covering this up? A former military intelligence officer turned whistleblower told House lawmakers that Congress is being kept in the dark about UAPs, alleging that a hearing that uh, alleging that in a hearing that a executive branch agencies have withheld information about mysterious objects for years. David Grush who served 14 years as an intelligence officer in the Air Force and National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, which I never heard of, uh, appeared before the House Oversight Committee, National Security Subcommittee, along with two former fighter pilots who had first-hand experience. 
Grush served as a representative to two Pentagon task forces investigating UAVs until earlier this year. He told lawmakers that he was informed of a multi-decade UAV crash retrieval and reverse engineering program during the course of his work examining, examining classified programs. He said he was denied access to those programs when he requested it and accused the military of misappropriating funds to shield these operations from congressional oversight. He later said he had interviewed officials who had direct knowledge of aircraft with non-human origins and that so-called biologics were recovered from some craft. Members of both parties question how Congress should go about investigating the remarkable allegations, a reflection of the increasing willingness by lawmakers to demand the executive branch be more forthcoming about the phenomenon. We're going to uncover the cover-up, and I hope this is just the beginning of many more hearings and many more people coming forward about this, said Representative Tim Burchett, a Republican from Tennessee. Pentagon did not immediately respond for this, uh, and the UAP has gained widespread attention from Congress and the public in recent years with the release of several video recordings of the encounters, which simply show seemingly nondescript objects moving through the air at very high speeds with no apparent method of propulsion. The Pentagon's all-anomaly uh, resolution office, which Congress established last year to investigate the incidents has investigated nearly 800 reports of UAP as of May 2023. While military officials have said most cases have been innocuous, have innocuous origins, many others remain unexplained. Now, Barack Obama said a couple of years back, we don't know what these things are. They put them on a late night talk show. Uh, but they're you know well, they're not a threat. Okay, well how do you you know how do you get to that from one to the other? So that's what we're gonna we'll leave it at that. Uh, it's important because I think people are gonna be pissed if they find out about a huge cover up over years and that they're withholding. So I don't know. We'll see uh, what happens. Okay, on to onward to OSHA. Texas, this is from uh, Ocean News Brief, Department of Labor. Texas glass manufacturer earns a star designation for excellence in workplace safety, health management, and a Waxhachie, I can't say that, Waxhachie facility. And where is that? Uh, it's a Cardinal IG Waxhachie, 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 there you go. A glass manufacturer and provider uh, into the, uh, this is in uh, Texas, into the agency's VPP with a star designation. The action follows an OSHA audit at the company's facility. The agency awards VPP status. Okay, congratulations to them. Good for them. Uh, we have another one of these also. Oh, we covered that one last week. And federal investigators, uh, okay. Federal investigators responding to a report of an employee's severe burns find multiple safety hazards at a Green Bay Santa Max facility. $300,000 in penalties at this Wisconsin facility. I think we covered this last year, but we'll cover it again. Three repeat and 10 serious health violations. Let's see what they are. Let's go back, right? Uh, 
Inspectors from OSHA determined the company failed to develop and implement hazardous energy control procedures. It's 1910-147. They found fall hazards, explosion hazards, and other dangerous uh, electrical hazards, unguarded pulleys, shafts, belts, and production equipment, unguarded and unlabeled hot steam process pipes. And... The... Uh, this was happened after an employee suffered severe burns. That's what we got here. Citation one, type of violation serious, general duty clause violation. Uh, the employer did not ensure uh, employees are protected from severe burn hazards due to hot potential contact with non-insulated and unguarded uh, equipment fine $14,733 citation one item 2a serious uniform hyzer rights and tread depths between landings so the stairs are fouled up what was the uh, fine $9,822 for, for stair treads other stair issues the employer must ensure the stairway landings and platforms are at least the width of the stair and at least 30 inches in depth as measured in the direction of travel. De minimis violation, but a zero. It's serious, but a zero they got them on. Citation one, item three. Unprotected sides and edges, right? General industry, four foot. You need a guardrail, safety net system, personal fall arrest system. $12,278. And 1910-147, item 1, item 4A, another $15,000. The employer shall develop, document, and utilize procedures for the control of potentially hazardous energy. Citation 1, item 4B. They have to have a written plan. They didn't uh, find them on that. Citation 1, item 5A, no guarding. Ooh. 15,625. Citation 1 item 5B, serious. Guarding again. No fine on that. And here we go. Uh, we're going to skip a couple of these. Skip ahead. Guarding, guarding. And cutout boxes on electric panels. The cutouts on there, the punch outs on there. And here we go. This is the big one. Citation to item one, a repeat violation. Locked. Uh, the walking, work, and services are to be kept in a clean, orderly, orderly and sanitary condition. $36,000 fine. Almost thirty-seven. Citation two, item two. Repeat violation, serious. Employer must ensure guardrail systems that are capable of withstanding without failure at least 200 pounds of line in a downward or outward direction within two inches of the top edge at any point on the let, on the edge. $61,000 fine. Citation two, item three, repeat violation. Guarding, uh, right? Uh, guarding on things that are less than seven foot uh, above uh, the walking, working surface. $61,000 for a grand total, 
Okay, you got to be very careful not to mention this name of this company. Department of Labor, because we'll take down a whole industry here. Department of Labor cites Boston Dumpling Manufacturer that continues to endanger employees, expose them to new and recurring hazards. This is a food manufacturer. You... All right. So, the department's OSHA, uh, here you go. They did a follow-up after a serious injury in 2022. They found that the company did not had not installed the required safety guards on a dumpling machine's rotating shafts a dangerous hazards for which the company was cited for after an employee suffered serious injuries in 2022 so proposed penalty $82,000 let's see if they have everything here all right Citation one, item one, type of violation, failure to abate, serious. Revolving services of shaft couplings were not covered by a safety sleeve in the dumpling room. Uh, $82,500 fine. That's a failure to abate penalty. And here you go. Uh, here. And here's another thing here. So on the follow-up, $82,000 fine. Citation one, item one, type of violation, serious. No lockout tagout is $6,875. Citation two, item one, type of violation, willful. Gears were not guarded by complete enclosure or by one of the methods specified in the regulation, $68,000 fine. Citation three, item one. Type of violation, repeat serious. One or more methods of machine guarding was not prevented, provided to protect the operator and other employees in the machine operating area from hazards such as those created from a point of operation, ingoing NIP points, rotating parts, flying chips, and sparks. Uh, $13,750. And citation three, item two, type of violation, repeat serious. Uh, guarding of electric equipment, 1910-303, violation, $7,800 citation on that for a grand total of $97,000. And here we have another one. Oh. Citation one, item one. Employer did not have a hearing conservation program, $3,900. Citation one, item two. Eyewashes, not immediately available, $30,929. Citation one, item three. A written HASCOM program, $2,946. So, I mean, we're talking a lot of money this uh, company got here uh, on this, and these are all relatively easy things to resolve. A hell of a lot easier than the proposed penalties. Okay, I'm going to take a break for a second here and go for it. 
Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. You are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy! Okay, U.S. Department of Labor cites North Andover Petco store for failing to protect workers from rodents, electrical, and chemical hazards. Right? Uh, So, a pet supply store in North Andover operated by a subsidiary of one of the nation's largest pet care companies routinely exposed employees to live or dead rodents. My question is this. Were they animals that got out? That they were selling? Because this company sells uh, animals. So uh, that's my question here. U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA opened an inspection uh, at the animal supply store in 2023, in February 2023, in response to an employee complaint. Inspectors determined the facility lacked an effective and adequate vermin control program to stop rodents from entering the store and sheltering areas such as receiving room or on the sales floor. I don't know, maybe they, should they be like trapping these animals in a live trap and then selling them? Mm, I don't know. Uh, with that, I think you use them as feeder animals for some of the snakes, I'm sure. So what do they whack them with? Oh, you're going to love this. Uh, 129473 dollars uh, in penalties. What we have to point out here is, is that there were other citations at for this employer in other country in other uh, areas. One of them being in Texas, and one in Ohio. So uh, again, these are repeat violations. Let's see what they are. Scrolling on down. Type of citation, item one, citation one, item one, 1910-151, where employees are exposed to injuries, corrosive materials, suitable facilities, or quick drenching or flushing, the eyes and bodies were not provided within the work area for immediate emergency room. Uh, Emergency use, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, $8,900. Citation one, item two. Type of violation serious. 1910 1200. Uh, this is uh, one we don't see here too often, uh, on, at least in this section of the website. Uh, this was improperly labeled uh, hazardous chemicals in the workplace in the janitorial closet, almost $9,000. 1910 work. Places were not so constructed, equipped, and maintained as to prevent the in- entrance or harborage of rodents, insects, and other vermin. 66,970. This was a repeat violation. 
Type of violation repeat serious, and this is a common one. A three-foot minimum clearance was not maintained for headroom of working spaces about service equipment. $44,645 for a grand total of $129,000. Now, here we have... We're going to link these two uh, stories here. Federal work, and this is not from OSHA, it's from the DOL, Department of Labor. A federal investigation has found that despite more than $21 million in penalties since 27, and those are proposed penalties, by the way, since uh, 2017 for workplace safety failures, Dollar General continued to expose employees at an Austin store on East Runberg Lane to uh, the risk of locked exits and fire extinguishers, not maintained or mounted as required. Uh, again, three, three, just shy of $300,000. Now, re- linking it to the first story we just talked about, a, pe- uh, uh, a chain pet uh outlet for chain for pet stores how much you want to make a bet that they're going to start going to more of those stores i'm willing to bet i'm willing to bet on that i'll bet you five bucks because now they know what the system what it is vermin uh guarding eyewashes labels uh labels uh, uh, things of that nature. So now they got their thing, and they've already been. This is the third, the third facility they've been to, and this other facility uh, employer has several thousand outlets also. So guess what? I have a feeling they're going to go in there and start doing it again, uh, again and again and again. So be on the lookout if you're in a pet store. My opinion is is that eventually they're going to go after all these retailers. Because there's a, a, a story today that uh, uh, Amazon, the government is looking at that FTC, Federal Trade Commission, is looking at breaking up Amazon because they're too big. Well, my question is, is are they looking to break up these other companies through OSHA violations with this? I'm not saying that there's uh, a conspiracy. I'm, uh, you know, uh, but there's maybe a conspiracy here. That's all I got for you tonight. I had some other news stories here uh, that uh, we can go hang out for tomorrow here with this uh, thing. Some good, some bad. So for uh, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow for Safety Wars. This is uh, Jim Polzel, and we will see you. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, 
recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.